Thanks so much for listening into the Saints Hill Church podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and to make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father. And if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. In you I find my joy. Have we ever started with a poem? <laughs> we ever started a, a, a teaching with a, with a, a poem? We're going to do a poem tonight. I hesitated on this. You'll see why in a minute. Um, <laughs> if Bree was here, she'd start getting nervous <laughs> um, when I say things like that. But um, I got this uh, poem from a, a, a man's man uh, back in Minnesota. It's a group of men that I get to do a Bible study with uh, virtually uh, for the last couple months. And we were together years and years ago, and we've kind of reunited. Uh, but he sent this out this week of all times while I'm preparing for this uh, message tonight. And I'm going to read it to you. Um, so here we go. It's called Sermons We See. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eye is a better pupil and more willing than the ear, and fine counsel can be confusing, but example is always clear. And the best of all preachers are men who live their creeds, as we have just seen in Andoni and Alex. For those, uh, for to see a good man put in action is what everybody needs. I soon can learn to do it if you let me see it done, and I can watch your hands and actions, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lecture to deliver may be wise and true, but I'd rather get my lessons by observing what you do. For I might understand you the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding of how you act and how you live. When I see a deed of kindness, I'm eager to be kind. And when a weaker brother stumbles and a strong man stays behind just to see if he can help him, then my wish grows strong in me to become as big and as thoughtful as, the, uh, I, as I know the friend to be. All, and all travelers can witness that the best of guides today are not the ones who tell them, but the ones who show the way. One good man teaches many men to leave what they behold, and one deed of kindness notice is worth 40 that are told. He who stands with men of honor learns to hold his honor dear. For right living speaks a language which, every, which to everyone is clear. And though an able speaker charms me with his eloquence, I say I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'm going to stand up because I'm making noise. And you can probably guess why I was a little bit hesitant. <laughs> no, I'm really vulnerable. Uh,
my son, my son told me, I talked to him on the phone yesterday, and I read him that poem. I thought he'd enjoy it. And he said, you could just read that, and then you could walk off. <laughs> uh, so I'm not going to do that. Uh, but the thing that first came to my mind is that, that verse in, in Psalm 119, verse 5, I believe, and it says, Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your principles, that when I compare my life to your word, I won't be disgraced. <laughs> and, you know, we encounter the Spirit every time we have here. And it, it really matters is what that looks like once we leave these walls, Right? And that was really convicting to me this week. So um, that's not where we're going to go tonight. Uh, we're going to be in Acts uh, 18. Uh, so grab your Bibles. You're going to need those. going to be in Acts 18. And let me pray first. Lord, pour out your Spirit. <laughs> We relinquish control to you right now. In Jesus' name, come. Do what you want to do with us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Acts 18, we've been in Acts. Um, we're trying to look at Acts to see what they did, what we can learn from Acts so that we can become a church that acts right, <laughs> uh, just like what we read in this poem. Uh, and here, So here we go. Uh, it says this, Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. And they had been expelled from Italy as a result of Claudius Caesar's order to deport all the Jews from Rome. They get booted out. And Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. And each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and the Greeks alike. And, and uh, after Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul spent his full time preaching and testifying to the Jews, telling them the Messiah you are looking for is Jesus. But when the Jews opposed him and insulted him, Paul shook the dust off from his robe and said, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And after that, he stayed with Titius Justus, a Gentile who worshipped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and all of his household believed in the Lord. That's so good. Many others in Corinth also became believers and were baptized. And one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will harm you, because many people here in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half, teaching the word of God, but when Galileo came, became the governor of Achaia, some Jews rose in concerted action against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. They accused Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that were contrary to the law. But just as Paul started to make his defense, 
Galileo turned to Paul's accusers and said, Listen, you Jews, if this were a case involving some wrongdoing or a serious crime, I'd be obliged to listen to you. But since it's merely a question of words and names of your Jewish laws, you take care of it. I refuse to judge such matters. And he drove them out of the courtroom. The mob grabbed Sosthenes. I love that name. If you're having another son, Sosthenes. And the mob grabbed Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and had him beaten right there in front of the courtroom. But Galileo paid no attention. Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that and then said goodbye to the brothers and sisters and sailed for the coast of Syria, taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. They joined the mission team. Let's skip down to 24. It says, Meanwhile, in Ephesus now, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria, Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord and talked to others with a great enthusiasm and accuracy about Jesus. However, he knew only about the baptism of John. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside, and I bet it was gently after he was done, and said, uh, we're going to explain the rest of the way of God to you more accurately. They didn't, he didn't know about the baptism of the Spirit, only up to the baptism of John. And Apollos had been thinking about going to Achaia, and the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him in this, and they wrote to the believers in Achaia, asking them to welcome him. And when he arrived there, he proved to be of great benefit to those by God's grace had believed. And he refuted all the Jews with powerful arguments in public debate, Using the scriptures, he explained to them, the Messiah you're looking for is Jesus. That's God's word. Well, as I'm going through this, there, when I go through a passage of scripture, God takes me from kind of one thought to the next. And he had my mind settled on six things, uh, brought my attention to six things that I want us to look at tonight. Um, and... I had to ask questions. I always ask questions. I ask questions along the way. And th these are questions that I had to ask myself in the last few weeks. And we're going to ask them together when we get there. So I'll have you do that. So these are, are the things we're going to look at tonight. Power in the name of Je There's power in the name of Jesus. Amen? There's power in the simplicity of the gospel. God begins at dead ends. When I am weak, then I am strong. Your occupation is your ordination. Not fancy words there, but we mean that your mission is wherever you are, where you're sitting right now. Know the truth, speak the truth. We are not on commission, we're on salary. Andoni gets that. Fathers, step up. Moms, too, your influence is powerful. And be encouraged to re-engage. I am his handiwork. Well, let's look at verse 1. After this, it says, Paul left Athens, went to Corinth. And my first question is, after what? <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, Alex took us through chapter 17. And if you remember, Paul had given this famous Mars Hill sermon. They still teach it in seminaries. I never went to seminary. 
but it was oratorically and skillfully delivered, but the response in Athens wasn't great. Some said, ah, well, come back, we'll hear you again. Most mocked and laughed at him. A few believed, but there was no church planted there in Athens at that time. What happened? That's my second question. It should be yours. As great as his sermon was, he never mentioned the name of Jesus. He never mentioned the cross. And I think he hightailed it out of Athens because in seven, chapter 17 it said he sent a message to Silas and Timothy and he said, meet me in Athens. But he took off before they got there. And in his letter to the Corinthians, Alex read this to us a couple weeks ago. It says this, 1 Corinthians uh, 2, 1 through 5. There it is. Uh, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I'd forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I did this so I would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Man, that's good news. There is power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the simplicity of the gospel. When I was five... Um, my mom and dad would always have the Billy Graham crusade on. Some of you remember Billy Graham, some of you might not. Most of you have heard of him. And after dinner, I would go over to the little corner by the hearth of the fireplace and get my Lincoln logs out, my little army men, and you know, doing all that. You know. And the Billy Graham crusade's on, and we get towards the end of that message, and I have a Lincoln log in both hands, and my mind just comes captivated on the simple message of the gospel. And it was right there sitting on the floor of our living room that I received Jesus and prayed that prayer. And my life has been changed forever. And it doesn't matter whether you're five or you're 105. The simplicity of the gospel is powerful. Amen? Do we have that slide up there, Evan? There, uh, one more. I'll read it to you. Um, in Romans 10, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple as that. And some of you may need to pray that prayer tonight. And you, you can right now. We're going to have people up here afterwards that you can pray together with. Uh, do we need to grow? Absolutely. But the simplicity is simple. Amen. That's a good word. Number two, God begins at dead ends. When I am weak, then I am strong. When Paul gets to Corinth, it says in verse two, there he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived with his wife from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome. When he gets to Corinth, he finds this couple, Aquila and Priscilla. And they'd been booted out of Italy under religious persecution. And they're 850 miles away now in Corinth. 
a new city uh, under a new culture, everything else. They're just lost. Life is turned upside down, and they are two refugees. And God uses them, and he begins with the total upheaval of their lives. I got to go uh, take a young man fishing uh, this Thursday. His name is Ton. And the best part of the day was he got to tell me his story on the way down to the coast. And he and his family were Vietnamese refugees in the clearest sense of the word. They got into San Diego in a new culture, uh, new languages, um, heavily steeped in Buddhism, and it just didn't fit. And he had a heck of a time growing up. He didn't have a father. When he was a young man, he told me this story. He was flipping through the channels looking for cartoons. And he came across a preacher. His name's David Jeremiah. Some of you have heard of him. Shadow Hills Church in California. And he said, I was captivated by it. And he said, it was the first time in my life that I heard that there was a higher power who loved me. Isn't that awesome? And the seed was planted. We're going to do that. The seed was planted. But life got even more and more difficult. He got really rebellious. Uh, He had a hard time getting along with his stepdad and his mom. Uh, Got into all kinds of things. And it got so bad at one point, he thought, I may even want to try to end this all. And then he was invited to a youth group meeting, and it just happened to be the church (laughs) that David Jeremiah was pastor of. And he hears the gospel one more time, and that seed turns into root, and he gave his life to Christ. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? And, And now, a long story short, um, he, he got married, or he actually went to college, got involved with Camp of the Crusade for Christ, on fire for Jesus. God told him to move to Portland. He met his wife, um, this blue-eyed, blonde-haired missionary gal that's incredible. She's actually our niece. And um, an incredible woman of God. And now they're just tearing it up for Jesus with their new little baby son. It's an incre- incredible story. But God took what could have looked like a dead end and turned it into a beginning. He always does that. And that needs to be an encouragement to a lot of us tonight, doesn't it? And a challenge. Are you in a dead end situation? Maybe life's not turning out how you expected. And dead ends can be a place of total desperation. They can be a place of pain a place where I have absolutely no control. (laughs) And when the very thing I've been trusting in gets stripped away, I not only suffer the loss of that thing, (laughs) but I also suffer the loss of the identity that it provided. My temptation is to find a way out. Maybe that's yours too. When I get to a dead end and I see the sign that says road closed with those big red stripes there, I'm thinking, there's no way. I'm gonna, my temptation is to back up the Suburban and get a head start, and I'm going to blow right through that sign. Road closed, no way. I'll make my own road, thank you. And that never turns out so good. 
dead ends simply show us what's been true all along, that we are completely dependent on God for life and breath and everything. He's my identity. He's your identity. And sometimes God just asks us to wait. And you're probably uncomfortable with those couple seconds just like I was. We, we can't wait long. We wait in traffic. We wait at stop signs. We wait to get test results. We wait at the DMV. And we wait. And we wait at the DMV. <laughs> and we wait in waiting rooms where we sit in the doctor's office waiting to get into the exam room where we... Yeah, we wait some more. And sometimes we wait for God to respond. And we may be waiting for that promise God gave us. <laughs> waiting for him to speak, waiting for him to answer, waiting for him to heal. Is God there with us when we wait? Is God there with us when we wait? Yes is the answer. Abraham sat in the waiting room, and he was waiting for a baby son, and he waited a long time, <laughs> but he had a promise in his pockets with God's signature on it, amen? Ruth waited for a husband and a redeemer, and she waited patiently and faithfully, faithfully with loyalty, and she trusted God. Noah was in the waiting room, and he's flipping through a boat-building magazine. <laughs> and he looks out the window occasionally, and he's looking for something called rain, and he hasn't seen it yet, but God said it was coming, and a lot of it. And, and Noah believed God. In Psalm 27, it says this, Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Psalm 9, those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. In Isaiah 40, it says, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. I love that. Weakness provides the opportunity for true strength to be found. Amen. And the Lord said to Paul, what? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. What was Paul's response? When I'm weak, then I am strong. And God will use what looks like a dead end to turn it into a beginning. And people that he chooses to use have one thing in common. At some point, they choose to live totally surrendered to his plan, trusting in his promises, no matter what the circumstances are. Because it's not just that he can use us, he plans to use us. In Ephesians 2.10, can we throw that up there? It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Say this with me. I am his handiwork. One more time. I am his handiwork. 
So some questions that I had to ask myself this week, and you can ask them now. Am I at a dead end? Have I been waiting there for a long time? Does my life feel turned upside down? And whose plan am I living right now? Am I on my plan or am I God's plan? Am I willing to wait, hanging on to his promises? Am I willing to trust him to live totally surrendered to his plan? And have I come to the place where I can truly say, when I am weak, then I am strong? Let's look at verse 3. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. Paul was intense. More of you got that than I thought would. Some of you didn't. You'll get home, get up 2 o'clock in the morning, go to the bathroom, and you go, Paul was intense. Paul, Paul was intense. Some of you still didn't get it. That's the only one I got, so laugh your hearts out. Yeah. It's possible that Aquila and Priscilla knew Jesus and received Jesus before they got to Corinth. But it's more likely, um, it could be either way, that Paul led them to faith while he was there working with them. Either way, think about it. They were living together, working together with their hands. Can you imagine the conversations that they had? It doesn't say that in there, but you've got to fill in the blank sometime. Um, whether Paul led them to Christ or not, um, or whether they are already Christians, uh, they were growing in their faith. Paul was discipling them. And it doesn't say here in the text, but I think Paul wasn't just waiting for Sundays to share the love of Jesus. He was sharing it while they were so intense together. And there's a simple but important takeaway here, and it's our third thing. Your occupation is your ordination. And Jake so beautifully took this uh, took us through this a couple weeks ago. Um, you could be a barista, a CEO of a corporation, police officer, firefighter, healthcare professional, or whatever it might be. You could be a single mom. You could be unemployed looking for work. You could be shopping at Safeway. The point is, wherever you find yourself is your mission field. Amen? Even here tonight. You know, I often think we come and we receive and we encounter God. But do I ever come thinking, this is my mission field tonight? <laughs> the people around us are watching what we do and what we don't do, what we say and what we don't say. And then God provides opportunities. And then it says in 1 Peter, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. <laughs> but do this in a gentle and respectful way. No one can argue with your story, your testimony. No one can argue with my story or my testimony. And we all have stuff we get really excited to talk about. I could give you my list. Man, Kathy would agree. But the questions are these. Have I been excited enough about my encounter with Jesus to talk about it? 
are there people and opportunities God has put right in front of my face that I've passed up? And I confess, yes, there have been. And what are the adjustments I need to make to be and to share the love of Jesus wherever I find myself? Can I explain the hope that I have? (laughs) Some of us, including myself, need to work on that. Verse 4, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ, the Christ was Jesus. During the week, he's working with Priscilla and Aquila so he, wouldn't ha- so he could support himself so he wouldn't burden the new church with financial responsibilities. And then the interns show up. <laughs> And I can just picture it. They say, dude, you said meet us in Athens, or to meet you in Athens. And he's not there. Um, the other one was more funny than that. But, um, but now, since they're there, they can help him, and he has, he's occupied full-time with preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. So number, the, the fourth thing, know the truth, speak the truth, We are not on commission. We are on salary. Verse 6 says this, And when they opposed and reviled him, he he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. And when we read that, that sounds a little bit harsh. It does to me. What in the world does he mean by your blood be on your own heads? Well, he was thinking of an important principle way back in Ezekiel 33, and let's look at it. Ezekiel gets this message from God. Is it up there? And he says, Son of man, give your people this message. When I bring an army against this country, and let's call it a fire, okay, just for an illustration. When I bring a fire against this country, And the people of that land choose one of their own to be a watchman. Connor, you're our watchman. Then the watchman sees the enemy coming, or the fire coming, and he sounds the alarm to warn the people. Then if those who hear the alarm refuse to take action, it's their own fault if they die. They heard the alarm, but they ignored it, so the responsibility is theirs. If they'd listened to the warning, they could have saved their lives. But, and here's what Paul's trying to, to, is remembering. It says, if the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm, Connor, (laughs) to warn the people, he is responsible for their captivity. They will die in their sins anyway. but I will hold the watchman responsible for their deaths. And that's what Paul was thinking. Later in Acts 20, he says, Therefore I testify you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring you the whole counsel of God. Paul knew that his calling was to proclaim the truth, and he didn't do it out of obligation. He did it because he so desperately wanted people to know that Jesus was actually the Messiah they'd been looking for. And they could be set free once and for all. That was his heart. 
Paul knew his responsibility was to plant the seed of truth. His job was to sound the alarm, so to speak, knowing that their salvation belonged to God. Our job's the same. We speak the truth in love because we're compelled by how much Jesus loves us to plant that seed of truth and maybe even get a chance to pray someone to receive Jesus. Those are special times. Always remembering that God closes the deal. Amen? We're not on commission. We're on salary. Here are my questions this week. You can ask them along with me. Do I share that sense of urgency to speak the truth of the gospel? (laughs) And does my life look like the truth that I speak, like in that poem we read at the beginning? Will I sound the alarm like the watchman when the opportunity comes? And can I say like Paul, I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. (laughs) Let's look at verse 8. Are you with me still? Good. Verse 8 says, And he left there and went to to a house of of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was right next door to the synagogue. It would have shared a wall. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. They all got saved. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Paul moves next door to the synagogue in in with this guy named Justus. And while he's there, Crispus, the ruler, the manager of the synagogue, gets saved. But not just him. And who? His whole household gets saved. And um, something went right to my mind when I read this, and it was this, that there is something powerful. Listen, there is something powerful that happens when a father surrenders and commits to a life of following Jesus. God's looking for fathers that will stand up and say with resolve, for me, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So number five is this. Fathers, steps up. fathers step up and moms too. Fathers, as our love for Jesus grows, so goes our family. It's not only a great responsibility, but it's a great opportunity. And what we model in our life is contagious, and our children will follow it. They'll copy it. In Deuteronomy 6, it says this, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children and talk to them when you are at home and when you're on the road and when you go to bed and when you get up and tie them on your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And in Psalm 103 it says, But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant 
of those who obey his commandments. And here we go. We Listen, <laughs> we live in a culture that desperately wants to break down the design <laughs> of the family under the premise of words like equality, diversity, fairness, freedom to choose, and personal identity, all of which are words that only find their fullness and completeness under the authority of Jesus. Fathers and those who have aspirations of becoming fathers, when you make a commitment to follow Jesus and surrender to him all that he's gifted you with, and when you take time to sit daily in his presence and in the scriptures, your wife will watch you and feel secure. Your children will watch you and copy the authenticity of your surrender to Jesus. And it becomes the beginning of revival in your family. <laughs> and to everyone else in your family's sphere of influence. I read this the other day. It just, Andoni, you said I'd be wrecked. I've been wrecked all week with this. It says, our prayer life as fathers and husbands not only creates the foundation for our own lives, but for the lives of our family. Children need to physically see and hear their fathers worship God. God. Wives need to see it too. The example it sets is invaluable and the spiritual rewards are incalculable. And moms, I love this. This is Proverbs 31. Moms and gals, and we all should know this fairly well. And it says this, she is clothed with strength and dignity and she laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Her children stand and bless her, and her husband praises her. And there are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. Solomon wrote that about my wife. <laughs> Amen. And some of you other moms, too, and ladies. In Proverbs 20, it says, The godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their children who follow them. Amen. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And in third, third John, I love this. have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. Amen. One of those children here tonight. God, I, I feel like we just need to thank you for how you've designed the family. Um. And we just pray against any attempt of, of the enemy to try to break that down. Teach us what you need to be in our families. In Jesus' name, amen. And number six, be encouraged to re-engage. 
verse 9, it says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. Go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will harm you. No one will attack you. No one will harm you. For I have many people in this city who are my people. And my question was, why in the world did Jesus need to encourage Paul in a vision? Anybody? He said, don't be afraid. Why do you think he's told him that? Because he was afraid. The synagogue leader, Christus, and his whole family just got saved. And he's no doubt really excited about that. But he's probably thinking at the same time, here we go again, stonings, beatings, left for dead, prison. It was a pattern in his life. And he was a human just like you and I were. He was subject to those emotions. And right at that moment, Paul needed a word of encouragement. <laughs> and Jesus speaks to him in a dream and tells him, do not be afraid, no one will harm you. Don't be silent. Keep speaking boldly. And some of us need that encouragement right now to get back into the game. And some of you might be saying, I'm not even sure what my calling is. I'm not sure what my value is. But remember, God is saying what? You are my handiwork. In Isaiah it says, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. And in Jeremiah, I love this one. Many of you heard it so many times. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? Those are promises with a signature on it. Paul was being encouraged to re-engage to get back into the game, not to be silent. Why? Because Jesus said, I have many in this city who are my people. And he's saying that to us. <laughs> I have many people in this city, people that need to get saved in Newburgh and Dundee and Sherwood and McMinnville and Portland and Yam Hill. Uh, he, and he, all around. <laughs> Wherever I find myself, that's my mission field. Amen? And he starts with ordinary people <laughs> like you and like me to get extraordinary results. Amen? Will you stand with me? Thanks for listening. And if we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website, saintshill.church.